What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, Wellpreneurs. It's Amanda Cook here, and it is June 2018 when we're releasing this episode. So it's summertime here in London, and I'm wondering, are you taking some time off this summer? You know, what I found is, especially in Europe, there's really a rhythm to business. And in summer, so many people go on vacation or traveling or are just spending time with their kids. And there might be a slump in your sales, right? There's not always as many people buying in the summer, depending on what you're selling, of course. And then there's a huge uptick back in September when people go back to school and want to start new projects and new learning and taking care of themselves. So I'm curious if you're taking some time off this summer or if you're using the downtime to do some projects in your business that have just been kind of falling to the bottom of your to-do list. So I've done both. I just got back from taking a little time in the States in New Hampshire with my family, did some really awesome things, hung out with my new niece who's six months old and went to Reiki training and went to a creativity retreat, um, did a bunch of writing and that was really awesome. On the business front, we've also just migrated our website. So it doesn't look any different, but the whole back end is different. So we've moved to a new website platform and a new platform for our online courses. I think it's a lot faster, a lot better for mobile responsiveness. That's a project we've been wanting to do for a while, and it's just never been a top priority. So the summer felt like a good time to do it. So I'd encourage you this summer, if you also have a bit of a slowdown in your business, take a look at doing both of those things. Definitely take some time off, even if it's just a couple days to disconnect and detox and really get some perspective. And also, do you have some of those projects that you really need to do that would help your business along, but just aren't urgent? Is there some way that you can do those yourself this summer or get some help so that you can make progress on those projects? Something to think about this week. I am just loving this season of the Wellpreneur podcast because we have such a diverse group of guests. And I think we're covering these topics that we haven't always gotten into in prior episodes. So this is really good. So we've talked about legal issues. We've talked about selling your business. And this week, we're actually speaking with Patty Spence, who is the CEO of Zevia. Now, Zevia is a sugar-free soda company, and they were the first soda company to use Stevia in their drinks. Patty has tons of experience in the natural and organic industry, working for companies that make natural and organic food. And then a few years ago, went off to start Zevia because of his own desire to find a soda that didn't have really gross artificial sweeteners in it. So this episode is valuable for a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, if you're interested in making a product, this is like exactly what you need to hear. Also, Patty has so much experience within the wellness industry that I really like picking his brain and asking him questions about things like, how do you look at competition and how do you decide what you need to work on? How do you hire and build a good team? And then, of course, all those good, juicy, personal things I always like to ask, like, do you have a morning routine and what do you do to keep yourself motivated? So we're going to talk about all of that today with the CEO of Zevia, Patty Spence. 
Now, as always, you can hop over and hang out with us in our Facebook community. So if you just go onto Facebook and search for Wellpreneur Community, then you'll find our group and there's just a couple questions you need to answer and we'll approve you to get into the group. We're always like supporting each other. People are asking questions about growing their businesses, about marketing, about working with clients and talking about this week's podcast episode, as always. So come hang out with us in the Wellpreneur community. And as always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. Now, if you're a new listener, you may not know that I actually released a book last year called Wellpreneur, and it walks you through the entire system of how to do digital marketing in the wellness industry. Even if you're a total beginner, it's like step-by-step, it tells you everything you need to do. You can get a free chapter of that book at wellpreneurbook.com. And the book itself is in ebook available on Kindle, as well as a physical book on Amazon. It's just called Wellpreneur. It's really easy to find. So if you haven't checked out the book, definitely grab the free chapter at wellpreneurbook.com. And then again, come join us in the Facebook group and we can chat about how to make this all happen in your business. Okay, so here we go. Let's jump into this interview with Patty Spence, the CEO of Zevia. Hi, Patty. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I was really interested to get you on the show because not only are you running a really interesting product-based business in the wellness space that we'll talk about, but also you've been working in the natural and organic industry for a long time, like 25 years or something, right? That's exactly right. My first job in the natural and organic industry was actually with Kashi Cereal uh, way back in 1992 when it was... uh, a tiny startup with just a handful of employees. So uh, I've seen a lot of changes and a lot of development in the industry and um, certainly a lot of really positive changes for the consumer. I definitely want to talk about that and get your take on the changes you've seen and also the trends. But before we get into that, well, first tell us, tell everyone what you do now at Zevia. Like what is Zevia and, and what's your role? Absolutely. So I'm the CEO of Zevia and we are a zero calorie beverage company. So All of our products are zero calories, zero sugar, sweetened with the stevia plant. And this role came out of my own personal experience. My wife and I actually went off of sugar together almost 17 years ago. And that was precipitated by health challenges that we were experiencing. I thought I was healthy, woke up one day after doing a food journal and realized that I was literally getting 250 grams of sugar per day all from natural and organic foods, protein smoothies, energy bars, things like that. So a thousand calories just from sugar. So my wife and I back in 2001 went off of sugar and started using stevia every day. And that eventually led to my current role at Zevia. Got it. And back in 2001, that must have been pretty radical to go off sugar. It really was. And, you know, I have to tell you, personally, it was a it was a gut wrenching experience, but a life changing one. Literally, the first we did it on kind of a retreat out in the woods where the nearest grocery store was 12 miles away, so you couldn't cheat. And the first three days, I broke out in hives, head to toe. And my body was really just in shock. And you hear a lot about detoxing. Well, I saw this firsthand. My body was saying, get the sugar out of me. And a week later, I kind of came out the other end and felt great. But Stevia, as you noted, back in 2001, was a very novel ingredient. In fact, it was not permitted as a sweetener in the U.S. It was a dietary supplement. And the ingredient has certainly come a long way in 17 years. And now almost half of U.S. households have a Stevia product. 
And Zevia, you took over running Zevia in 2010. And even then, so we're recording this in 2018. So in the past eight years, I mean, I would imagine it seems to me like quitting sugar and looking for these types of alternatives has become so much more mainstream. So it must be a lot easier. The market's, I guess, quite different now than when you were starting. Well, that's exactly right. And, and we've seen really explosive growth in our business, especially in the last 18 months. So you know, we, we're in a what I would call a 25 or 30 year cycle or trend of consumers wanting to know more about the foods and beverages they're putting into their bodies, as well as things they're putting on their skin or in their hair or whatever. And sugar is the latest kind of hot button in terms of really a discovery by consumers. When we realize just how much sugar we're consuming, it's really horrifying, frankly. And so we're finding people waking up to that. And the most recent survey I saw said that 84% of consumers in the U.S. are actually trying to limit their sugar intake. So we're in an environment where people are looking for solutions, and we offer a really fantastic solution in terms of beverages. I'm curious, um, because you have a lot of experience in sales and marketing. I think that's what you headed up at Kashi um, in your previous position. And it's something that I hear a lot in the community. It's almost as if entrepreneurs, like new business owners, want to try to be evangelical and like convert people to their way of thinking. And what I'm picking up from, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Like, it sounds like from what you said, there's already people that are looking for Zevia. Like you're not trying to convert people, but you're trying to provide a product for people that are already looking for it. Or I don't know, what are your thoughts around those? Well, I mean, I think, what you're referring to, frankly, is an evolution where, and I'm seeing it dramatically in packaged goods. Let's face it, the Campbell's, the Crafts, the General Mills, the Coca-Cola's in the world, these are not mission-driven companies, right? Their mission is to earn as much profit as they can. And I think what's happened, and, and this is true of many, if not most natural and organic companies, they exist certainly as businesses and to be profitable, but just as importantly, they're mission-driven. And so you can call it evangelical. You know, that sounds like a somewhat of a judgment, perhaps. I'd say we're living a mission. And my mission is to make people aware of a solution that changed my life and I think can change other people's lives. So there is a component of education then in what you're doing as well. Well, absolutely. Because as I learned myself, I was in the natural products industry for 10 years almost. I was doing triathlons. I was shopping at natural and organic stores. I thought I was a healthy guy. And it was only when I actually did a food journal that I woke up to the fact of how incredibly unhealthy my diet was. And so I think today I talk to hundreds and thousands of people, frankly, who say, you know, I just want to be healthier, but I don't know where to start. And what we found is one of the easiest places to start is with beverage. 47% of added sugar intake comes from beverages. So if you just switch from sugary beverages to a product like Zevia with zero calories and zero sugar, you've cut your sugar almost in half with that first step. So really, as you said, the need is there among consumers. They're just looking for an easy way to do it. So what are you noticing in the industry today? One of the things you pointed out was people are trying to reduce sugar. I'm curious, what other kinds of trends are you seeing in the wellness industry? Like what's really working and resonating for people today? Well, I think uh, sugar reduction or, or the quest to reduce sugar is, you know, one of, of a number of different trends. And, and the common theme across these trends is consumers are taking their health into their own hands. And so certainly I think your audience is uh, very attuned to the concept of, of self-care and proactive 
health management. We Absolutely. don't have to wait till we get sick to take medicine, right? We can actually not just treat the symptoms, we can treat the cause. And so that's really what the natural and organic industry is all about. And so what's fascinating about it is there's no single answer, right? Absolutely, sugar reduction is a huge theme. Similarly, you have a lot of people who are saying, I want to learn more about plant-based products than plant-based ingredients. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have folks who are saying, I want to pursue a ketogenic diet and eat tons of meat and no carbs, right? That is almost the opposite of a lot of vegans approach, yet both of those are driven by the exact same thing, which is a desire to understand what I'm consuming and how it's going to affect me and to take control of my own health. And what does that mean? It means I'm going to research stuff. I'm going to look on the internet and learn about ingredients and attributes. And I'm going to read the label of things I buy versus just responding to the latest ad or the brightly colored display in a store. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to get a sense of I get your take on a couple of business issues and how you approach them. So first of all, this issue of competition. So when you're in a product industry like you are and you're looking at people like there's huge players out there, right? Like you were saying, all the big brands like Campbell's and the soda companies and all these people. And then there's also some other smaller startup brands that are probably also trying to make sugar-free sodas. So how much do you pay attention to competition? How much does that influence what you do? It's a really great question. And, you know, it's, it's similar, frankly, to my philosophy as an athlete, which is run your own race, right? No one ever won a, won a race by looking back over their shoulder to see who's following them. And in fact, that's in running. That's the one thing you're supposed to never do, right? You run your own race. You push your own body as best as you can. And so in a business, I think it's similar. We exist to serve our consumers. We are all about helping consumers change their lives through sugar reduction. Hey, if Diet Coke wants to try and do that, good luck, right? If, if small startups want to do that too, we support that. But ultimately, we're focused on the solution that we can provide and making people aware of that. When it comes to the big companies, frankly, and, and I think the nuance or the distinction that I noted at the outset is a really important one. They exist to serve shareholders and shareholders only. They exist to maximize profits, sometimes at the expense of their consumers' health. We exist, yes, to make a profit, but we also exist to change people's lives. And so when you're running that race, good luck to the guys who are only focused on profits, because at the end of the day, I think things take care of themselves. And a consumer wants to patronize, wants to support a brand that cares about them. And so we're seeing a real evolution in consumer trust and how consumers interact with brands. And frankly, I firmly believe that brands with a social mission and a commitment to the consumer are going to win in the long run. And we're seeing that every single day. Mm. How are you weaving that into your sales and marketing? Like, how are you communicating that mission out to the consumers? Well, you know, I think it really starts with the product and listening to shoppers. And so I'll give you a great example. I came into this business eight years ago with a very firm belief that it was all about sweeteners. And if I could just fix the sweetener in a carbonated beverage, that that was the solution. And that's certainly true. But along the way, we've learned about a whole bunch of other attributes only because consumers brought them up to us. They said, gosh, it'd be great if you guys were verified uh, or certified gluten-free. Okay, check, we are. It would be great if you were non-GMO project verified. Check, we are. It would be great if you removed caramel color from your sodas because that's been linked to cancer. Check, we did it. And so each of those innovations, we're ahead of the market because we're listening to consumers. And I can guarantee you people have asked uh, Coca-Cola to take caramel color out. Are they listening? No. Coca-Cola is brown. It's got caramel color. 
So we take a completely different approach in terms of listening and supporting our consumer base than a lot of the big companies. I'm curious, and I guess this is kind of a question for the people just starting out, but like imagine if you're just starting a product company, and I think it can be easy to get distracted or swayed by everybody else's opinions about what you should do. So I'm curious with that consumer feedback, like what kind of, do you have a process or what do you go through to make sure that, you know, you collect that feedback and then you have to run it through some sort of filter, I guess, to say, is this something that really aligns with us? Well, yeah. And I think the overarching philosophy that governs all of that is continuous improvement. And it frankly, you know, it comes from my own personal philosophy. And I think we've been effective at instilling that philosophy in the brand, which is we want to be 1% better today than we were yesterday. And so we do a ton of test and learn. We do a ton of conversing with our consumers. I mean, I just spent a weekend uh, in upstate New York at a CrossFit uh, competition, the exercise regimen, and we handed out 15,000 cans of Zevia in a weekend. So I literally had the chance to interact with thousands of consumers and hear what's important to them. And that is how you stay true to your brand. That's how you stay true to consumers. You're out there every day talking to them, listening to them, getting their feedback. And that's how we continually improve and continue to get better in terms of what we offer our consumers. What do you wish you'd known when you took over Zevia in 2010? Uh, I wish I'd known. Gosh, what do I wish I'd known? Well, I guess I wish I knew a little bit more about beverage. Sometimes I walked into this business with zero beverage experience. And so that was a blessing and a curse. There's certainly a few shortcuts probably we could have taken with the benefit of hindsight. At the same time, though, and I think to your question about first-time entrepreneurs, Amanda, a lot of times lack of experience can be a benefit because you have a fresh approach. We didn't come into this business saying, we're going to do it just like Coca-Cola did. We came into this business saying, gosh, look at this amazing, successful company, Coca-Cola. What could we do better? Where have they gone wrong? How can we treat consumers and shoppers and fans even better than they do? And so that lack of experience actually helped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes I hear entrepreneurs say, you know, if they'd known how much work it was going to be, they might not have done it. And so they're actually happy for a little bit of that, you know, naive optimism that you have in the beginning because you just take it on and do it. Yeah. And honestly, though, I, I really believe this working hard, whether you're in a business or, or not, or whether you're working or not, that's what life is about. That's what makes life rewarding. You know, I had a great conversation with a uh, mixed martial arts fighter, Nate Diaz. He's a Yazevia athlete. And we were talking about his workout regimen. And he said, you got to do something. And the point was, even if this guy was not a professional athlete, he'd be training like one because that's what's satisfying in life. Doing hard things and accomplishing things is what's exciting, whether that means going out for a run on your own or making an amazing dinner for your family or doing things at work. We thrive and we learn through challenges. And that's what gets me up every day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I'm curious, one of the issues that I know a lot of the listeners struggle with is at that point when they need to start really hiring for their business and scaling. And, and I'd love to have your, your thoughts on how to do that effectively, like, because it can be so, it can feel really daunting to try to choose the right person to hire. Absolutely. And I think it's a great point. For me, it really starts with values. I can teach someone skills. I can't teach them values, right? If our values don't align, I don't care how skilled you are. I don't care what you've done in your prior career. We're not going to work very well together. And so I start with values. 
you know, it's interesting. My first job, as I mentioned, in the natural and organic industry was with Kashi Cereal. And I vividly remember, it's 27 years ago almost, but I vividly remember the first phone conversation we had when I called uh, from Boston for a phone interview. The very first question the CEO asked me was, do you consider yourself a health conscious person? It was so Californian, I almost fell off my chair. I'm coming from Boston, Massachusetts, and people don't talk like that. But it was a great question because it got right to the heart of values. And I remember that, and I try to put that into practice. For me, it starts with passion. It starts with values. Skills can come second. As I mentioned, I knew zero about beverage. What I knew, though, is I don't like the current beverages that are on the market, and I want to make something better. And that was the important part, not what kind of experience I have. How much do you rely on your gut versus your head for making decisions? That's a fantastic question. And, you know, I have a, a very specific process. And folks who work with me, they, you know, I like to tell them I'm opinionated but flexible. And so what that means is I have a lot of gut feels and a lot of opinions based on my own personal experience. But overlaying that, I try to use as much quantitative data as I can. And when faced with data that doesn't agree with my own gut, I'll change my opinion. And so, you know, I think that's what it's all about. It's we want to find things that are based on qualitative insights and overlay quantitative verification or proof of those insights. And that's the magic. If you've got a hunch and then you can go out and prove that hunch through research, then you know you've got something. So I'm curious, just for you personally, I always like to find out if you have a morning routine or certain rituals that you do to really make sure that you're at your best during the day? Because I know once the day starts, it can really get away from us. So do you have any, do you have something like that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, this really comes back to this idea of living to maximize everything in your life and try and frankly squeeze every last drop of juice out of life. And a lot of that for me starts with balance. And you know what I would tell you is honestly, and this is something I tell all my team, we work to live. We don't live to work, right? When we're old and remembering our lives, we're not going to be thinking about that day in the office. We're going to be thinking about the times we had with our family, with our friends, the things that made us excited in, in life. And so for me, it starts with balance and my priorities in order, family, work, personal health. And family comes first. And, and so the first thing for me in terms of routine and, uh, is, is achieving that balance. I'm fortunate in that I get to take my kids to school every single day and pick them up every day. I do travel. And so when I'm not in town, obviously I don't. But my day starts with that. Meditation is something that I really believe in and, or mindfulness, you know, as, as a lot of people call it now. But just a four or five minute breathing meditation in the morning is something I do. I try to work out consistently, and my travel schedule sometimes makes that challenging, but I train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai kickboxing, and those are incredibly important to me just in terms of preserving my perspective on what's important. You know, it gets down to mundane things. Uh, I'm very focused on what I put into my body. I try to treat, you know, every executive, every person really is an athlete, right? And what's the competition? The competition is life. And in my case, it's life in a gigantic, busy city, Los Angeles. And so I want to treat my body the best I can, treat my mind the best I can to get through the craziness that is life today. Cool. I always find that so interesting because I think especially working in this industry of health and wellness, 
it can be so easy to just get swept up in the day-to-day and actually forget our personal practices. And so it's always really interesting to hear like how individual people bring that balance into their life. I'm curious what you do with like electronics and email. Do you have any practices around that? Because a lot of that, that's an ongoing struggle for many of the wellpreneurs out there. It is. So personally, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a six-year-old daughter. So it's a struggle that I see with a, a younger generation as well as myself. And so part of my kind of rules around technology start from the desire to not be a hypocrite, right? I want to treat myself or uh, act myself the way I tell my kids to act. And so as an example, I mentioned, you know, I get to commute with my children. Well, one of the great things about that is there's no phone conversations, there's no work, there's no technology involved. The three of us are talking on a half hour commute to school and home. We do, in my family, we do no screen time for the kids during the week. It's only on the weekend. And so as a result, my wife and I are very judicious about not having our screens. 100% of the time, we eat dinner together. And 100% of the time, there are no screens at dinner. So those are all important things. And you know, another thing that I've started to do is I try to challenge myself to leave my phone. On the weekend, I'll leave my phone at home. When I'm driving, I'll put my phone in the center console so I, there's no temptation to look at it. And just you know, like anything, the first time you go running, it's really hard to run a, a mile. The next time, you maybe you do a mile and a half and you keep getting better. And similarly, you can wean yourself off of technology addiction one step at a time. Uh, another thing I did is I have no social media apps on my phone. Any social media I would do would only be on a desktop machine. So, you know, right there, the average person, I think, spends a couple hours on their phone on social media. So I've eliminated that distraction. Mm-hmm. So it's all about kind of just bit by bit, 1% better, trying to live by the rules that that I'm frankly uh, imposing on my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the social media and the email on the phone is really, that's something that we talk about a lot on here because people have quite a struggle with it. And occasionally you'll try to do like a digital detox and take it off and then it, oh, it pulls you back. So I'm impressed you've been able to stick with that. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things we do too is every year my family and I, we have a small cabin that is uh, up way up in the woods in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. It's on a lake. There's no electricity. There's no internet. And the nearest town is 12 miles away. And so technology is just not part of our lives there. And so you spend 10 days up there and it is incredible to change in perspective. 10 days not looking at a screen, not thinking about a screen, not wondering if you had emails or texts coming in. It's really liberating. And so then you come back to life and you realize, you know what? That email can wait an hour. And I think part of what we get into, especially in business, is this perspective that everything needs an immediate reaction. Everything needs to be responded to instantly. And yet, that's not the way the world has to work. We can slow that down a little bit. We can take time to think about our responses before we jump in. And part of that is kind of letting technology fade into the background a little bit and give ourselves a little bit more time to think and reflect and respond. Mm, mm-hmm. I think that's that idea of just having blank space and time for deep work where you're not just constantly reacting, but you can actually really reflect on things. Well, yeah. exactly. And, and, you know, it's interesting. My, my real inspiration in that is my wife, Jera. 
she's an artist and a musician. And when we first got together 18 years ago, I remember vividly her telling me, you know, I'm going to need downtime. I'm going to need thinking time. I'm going to need creative time. I can't just be going and responding and going and responding. And when I know, when I've talked to other artists the same way, you have to have time to let your ideas kind of ferment and turn into something. And art is not, and creative works are not about instant production. And so I've learned a lot from that because in business, you it's easy to fall prey to the fallacy that everything needs an immediate response. And it's not true. The best ideas are the ideas that are worked on and thought about and ideated and refined over time. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what advice you'd have for anybody out there listening who wants to start a food product company. Well, I think the first advice is for me, again, it's, it's marrying passion with opportunity. And, you know, it's a cliche, but I do believe if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to do your best. You're just not. And so, you know, I'll give you some examples in our industry. There's some amazing categories with intense growth, pet foods. It's just not a category I'm passionate about. And so I remember looking into that segment a few years ago and I said, you know, I think it's really cool, but it's not something that I could get excited about every day waking up to sell pet foods. And so for me, my process was... Let me find products or categories or concepts that I'm passionate about. Let me overlay what I know about trends, whether that's what I read online or what I see in the retail store. And if I can find something where there's good growth and good opportunity and it aligns with my passion, that's fantastic. I'll give you an example on the flip side. Before I got into natural and organic foods, I thought I wanted to work in the athletic industry. And very specifically, I thought I wanted to go work for a bike company. And I remember I probably did 20 interviews with bike companies coming out of business school. Had a lot of passion. But when I realized that wasn't for me as I was in an interview and the gentleman said, so tell me why you think this is a good industry. And I ranted and raved. And he said, well, guess what? I'm going to tell you it's not. It's really challenging. All bike frames are the same. It's a commoditized product and it's really difficult economically. Wow. Okay. So my passion didn't quite align with what seemed like an amazing opportunity, or at least in this individual's opinion. And so that was an example of where, okay, passion's great, but it's only going to get you so far if you're in a really tough category. So if you told me, gosh, I have a really great idea for canned soup, you know, I might tell you, I'm not sure that today's shopper is looking for the next greatest canned soup. I don't think that's a growth area. Think about something else you might be passionate about. Got it. And what about, I'm curious, this idea of getting into stores, like what would you recommend for smaller brands that, you know, want to start getting carried by bigger retailers? It's a fantastic question. And, and it's a, another strongly held philosophy that I have, which is, it goes back to what we talked about, connecting with a consumer. That's what it's about. And a lot of times we read a lot about these food startups these days that frankly are trying to be Google right? And they're trying to just grow exponentially. And you hear a lot about these food tech companies raising hundreds of millions of dollars. At the end of the day, you're selling a product to an individual, maybe to a family. And so the most important thing is connecting with those families. And so I would tell any entrepreneur, don't worry about national distribution. Don't worry about, you know, being global. Those are things down the road. Start with your own neighborhood. Start with your friends and family right? And so many products got started in a garage with friends and family tasting them and refining them. Then start in your neighborhood, find one farmer's market, find one store, own that store. You know, I heard a great story from uh, an entrepreneur recently about a startup hot sauce company. 
okay, hot sauce is a, you know, it's a really cool category. It's a tough product to launch to get people to try your hot sauce. And what this guy did is he said every single week for two years, I was in my local grocery store. This is in Colorado. It was a King Supers grocery store. He said, I was in there sampling product every single week for two years. And through that, I learned so much. We developed this following. Then we expanded to a few stores. Then we were chain-wide in this Colorado retailer. And then we went national with their parent company, Kroger. So it's one step at a time. It's starting in your neighborhood, friends and family, neighborhood, community, state, national. Mm -hmm. And what about, I, I see that people have this sense that they need to have this huge master plan for their business at the beginning. And I don't know, how much do you think that's important when you're just starting out? I think it's important to have an idea and a vision. And I think it's important to continually update that. You know, when we started at Zevia, I had a vision of where we could go. And frankly, we reached the top of what I thought was the top of the mountain a couple of years ago. And the top of the mountain is so much higher. And so I've continued to evolve the vision. And that's the one thing I do all the time is I continually revisit the vision. Because frankly, I do believe if, if you want to be a billion dollar company, you've got to aspire to that, right? It doesn't mean you have to have the entire roadmap, but you have to have an aspiration. Because if you don't have an aspiration, you'll never get there. But so you have that aspiration and then you have all the little daily steps that just get you to the next mini summit and the next mini summit and the next plateau. And eventually you may find the top of the mountain was much higher and you need to continue to evolve that vision. Mm -hmm. But uh, having a long-term vision, I think, is important. And again, going back to something we talked about earlier, for me, that vision is defined by values. And the mm -hmm. most troubling statistic I've heard in a long time is that the Center for Disease Control in the United States estimates that by the year 2050, 30 years from now, up to a third of Americans will be diabetic. It's three times the current rate. And it's so horrible and heartbreaking because the vast majority of those new cases are di of diabetes are type 2 diabetes that can be mitigated or impacted by diet and exercise. And so we are heading for a disastrous future from a health perspective because of sugar. And so my vision is how many people can we help in that time frame? How many people can we help get off of sugar? And really, that's what it's all about. And then the tactics and the way you get there continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. And when you say a statistic like that, it just makes me think there's so much room. There's so much room for other companies to come in. So people out there that have ideas, I think sometimes, you know, you can get a sense like, oh, well, that's kind of been done or there's so many people competing in that space. Well, that's a massive, massive problem that needs to be overcome. So it sounds like there's tons of room for new innovation. Well, well, exactly. And I, in, in thinking like an entrepreneur is thinking about what's my pain point or what's my personal frustration. Is that something that applies to other people and how can I fix it? And so to your point, we do beverages, but I'm a Stevia guy for 17 years. And so, gosh, two things I really love that for years and years I couldn't have chocolate and candy, right? I just wasn't going to do it. Well, there's an amazing chocolate brand that was started a few years ago called Lily's Chocolate. It's a stevia sweetened chocolate. And then only 18 months ago, a friend of mine up in, uh, in British Columbia started a candy company called Smart Sweets, which is making a zero sugar candy line. So when you look at products like those, they're just completely born out of the needs of individual consumers who say, gosh, I love chocolate. Why does it have to have sugar? I love gummy bears. Why do they have to have sugar? And so, yeah, I would challenge everyone out there to think of the challenges you have in your own life and how you would solve them. And does that apply to others? 
Well, Patty, we're getting to the end of our time together. It's gone so fast. But I'm curious if you have, I love to get like a recommendation from the guests. So if you have a favorite inspiring book or film or podcast or something that you think would be interesting to the Wellpreneurs. Well, you know, I think three books that I love. One is quite topical and specific to my category. And that's a book called The Case Against Sugar by Gary Taubes, T-A-U-B-E-S. And Gary is a science journalist and wrote a really incredible history of sugar, how it got into our food supply, and frankly, what it's done to global health. So that's book number one. Book number two, from a leadership and management perspective, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Um, It's one that I just feel so strongly about. And, you know, I'm a big supporter of families. I'm a supporter of balance. And I'm an advocate of women and in the workplace. And I'm a feminist. So that's a book that really changed me in terms of helping me to support moms, families, and women in the workplace. And then the third one is a marketing book uh, called No Brow. And it's uh, by a, a gentleman named John Seabrook. And I believe the subtitle is The Culture of Marketing, The Marketing of Culture. And it's the concept of how in the old days you had highbrow culture and lowbrow culture. And now those two through pop culture have been mashed together. And uh, it's just a really fascinating book about how consumers think about brands and marketing. Oh, I've never heard of that last one. So that's fantastic. I'll go check that out. And we'll link all of those up in the show notes so everyone can easily get them. Fantastic. Patty, Patty, thanks so much for being here. Can you tell everybody where they can learn more about Zevia and get in touch with you and all that good stuff? Absolutely. So in terms of Zevia, our products, it's Z-E-V-I-A. Uh, you can go to our website, zevia.com. I'd encourage folks to check out our Instagram community at, at Zevia. We have a really amazing, robust Instagram community. And in terms of me personally, you know, I would invite any of your listeners to contact me directly. My email is paddy, P-A-D-D-Y, at zevia, Z-E-V-I-A.com. I would encourage folks to be what I call professionally persistent because I get a lot of emails and I really want to respond to everyone. So if I don't get back to you immediately, just stay on top of me. That means persistent, not abusive. Um, but uh, I love it when people reach out to me. And you know, I love to help entrepreneurs change other people's lives for the better. That's fantastic. Thanks so much, Patty, for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can get all the links in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. And don't forget, if you haven't read my book, Wellpreneur, which is all about bringing more of the right people to your website and turning them into paying clients, you can get a free chapter of that book at wellpreneurbook.com. And of course, you can buy the book Wellpreneur on Amazon in digital and physical formats. So have a think this week about how can you take some time off and detox yourself and decompress. And also, is there a project that you've been meaning to do for a long time, but it's never really been urgent? Is that something you can fit into your life this summer to really move your business forward? Have a fantastic week, guys, and I will see you back here with the next episode. Mm